is it's how people feel when they come to work, right? And if the majority of the people who come to work feel really good about working there, then you probably have a healthy culture. And if the majority of people feel really bad about coming to work there, then you probably have an unhealthy culture. So the reason that it's important is culture has all of these tentacles that go out to, to employee engagement, to satisfaction. I'm, uh, I'm excited. We've got a, another episode of the Business Blind Spots podcast, uh, Business Blind Spots Exposed podcast. The Blind Spots podcast is way, what I call it. And let me start out a little bit for anyone who might be joining us for the first time or who hasn't joined in some time, give you a little bit of an understanding what the Blind Spots podcast is all about. So for me to be an effective and efficient leader, not only do I need to see what is happening in my organization, I need to see where that story or that fairy tale is going. So there's data, there's information, there's metrics uh, and there's narratives and perspectives in the organization. How do I put it all together? Well, if I can't see the story, it doesn't help, matter how much information, how much data I have. And by the same token, if I have all this data in the world, I mean, if I have all of the stories, but I don't have the data, uh, I can't figure out the story either. So the Blind Spots podcast is an outreach or out outgrowth of my own set of blind spots things that I couldn't see because I didn't know the stories. So I bring in the leaders, so all the people that I would have wanted to talk to who can see the narratives that they've seen, whether they're seasoned leaders or culture coaches like Garland uh, here today, who can tell us a little more about how they see things. And maybe you can see it a little in advance as well. Hey, Garland, how are you doing today? Vinay, I'm doing great, man. How about yourself? <laughs> I'm uh, I'm doing super. I am really excited about getting into this conversation with you because, gosh, culture is a really, really important thing for pretty much any organization that I can think of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There aren't any organizations that you can really think of where it's like, ah, culture's not that important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and that brings me to today, right? That we're talking to Garland. And I want to tell you a little bit about Garland in a second here. But the topic is the data behind better culture and pest control. He's got some stories and maybe narratives and some experiences that I think uh, hopefully some juicy dripping details that he's going to share with us in terms of how to start to see some of this stuff. So let me tell you a little bit about Garland first. And I got, I got lots of questions for you, Garland. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Garland has got, uh, is an author, speaker, and consultant. He co-founded Advanced Leadership to help, his overwhelmed, to help overwhelmed influencers and organizations live with purpose, productivity, and peace. Gosh, uh, the harmony between those things is so incredibly important today or else you can run yourself completely ragged and yeah. feel like you're just treading water and getting absolutely nowhere. Lots of stress. Uh, he's the author of Getting Unbusy, which Forbes named as one of the seven books everyone on your team should read. Uh, I've seen some of his principles and he shared with me some of these ideas. Just cool, cool stuff here. Uh, lives in Knoxville, Tennessee with a wife of 20 years, Dorothy, three kids and a turtle. <laughs> uh, and you can learn more at advancedleadership.live and getanunbusybook.com. We'll put some of those links uh, afterwards with some of the show notes. Um, I'm really excited because this term, culture, 20 years ago, seemed like a squishy, woo-woo, 
part of the world. It isn't anymore. It is something yeah. that, I mean, in terms of a track, I heard a staggering statistic. 88% of all job applicants will see if they can identify or understand what your culture is before they even put an application in. Mm. Why is that? Why is that, girl? And why, why does that matter? Cultures matter so much today. Well, I mean, let's talk about a simple definition of, of culture. I think there's a simple definition. There's a little bit more complex definition. But the simple one is it's how people feel when they come to work, right? And if the majority of the people who come to work feel really good about working there, then you probably have a healthy culture. And if the majority of people feel really bad about coming to work there, then you probably have an unhealthy culture. So the reason that it's important is culture has all of these tentacles that go out to, to employee engagement, to satisfaction, to that's going to leak into customer engagement and satisfaction. It's going to be a great recruiting tool for you. It's going to be what when people go home and they talk about their job, what their families hear is going to be about the culture that you've set up. So your culture is important because it truly influences everything within your business, including the marketing, not only to your customers, but also to your potential employees. So, you know, something that I had a conversation with someone about is these blurred lines between work and home, right? The baggage, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that my wife and I sometimes don't necessarily 100% eye to eye. It's, it's happened before. What? Uh, that never happens in marriage. <laughs> and that, that, you know, that may float over into, my, you know, those emotions, those, that baggage or whatever, however I'm feeling, that may float over into the workday. But whatever happens in the workday also floats into home. Yep. And I think what I'm hearing a little bit from you here is that culture, if, if they come into work and they're feeling good about things, they feel valued, they feel a sense of purpose, Right they're going to go home and talk about that, right? Their kids are going to see that. Their families, their friends are all going to see that. And they're going to start to talk about that. That's going to almost self-validate itself. And they're going to want to come back to work again, right? So this cross-pollination of home and, and work, uh, have, yeah. setting up the right culture has kind of yeah. this long tail on it, right? Yeah. And, and, and to your point, Vinay, the, when you go home and you love your job and you are, you are more engaged in life in general, you're happier in general, you take that in into the home. So it's not just that people are seeing it, but their lives are better. Your family's life is better. Your friends' lives are better when you're working in a healthy culture. You know, there's a saying I've, I, I sometimes I, uh, I surprise myself with things that I say. Uh, <laughs> one, 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 one of those things that I've been using for a long time in, in managing teams and managing companies and things is, you know, I can pay for people's minds, but if I get their hearts, I win. Yeah. Uh, and that's what culture is all about because, you know, I, I, the, the, the idea is, that, you know, squeezing blood out of a stone kind of thing. Gosh, if you, if you have people that are, have got their heart in the role, <laughs> you get more out of it, not because you have to push them, but because they want to. Is that right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You win their hearts and, and you've won the game. And, and that's why there are so few companies right now where people are, are going into it and going, I love the place that I work. I love my job. We might even like our coworkers, but I mean, Gallup's telling us that uh, 86% of people are either disengaged or highly disengaged at work. So we're not winning the hearts of our people. And a big reason for that is we're not intentionally creating the culture where we attract the types of people who want to work there. So this is a really interesting number, 86%. I always like to try to distill these things into things that can be sort of a take-home message. Uh, and someone gave me a, a great way to measure, to put it into, in, into dollars and cents. He said, for every $100,000 that you're putting in payroll, if you take a look at this 86% number, you're basically saying for every $86,000, I'm throwing 86% of that almost down the drain. Is, mm -hmm. is, that a, is that a fair way to look at that? that? That's a sobering, but I would say fair way to look at that. So, so does culture matter to you? I mean, by that definition, holy crap, what are you doing if you're not, if you're not building <laughs> culture, <laughs> right? You're, you're, because tell, tell me more about this word disengaged. I, I hear it. People use it all kinds of different ways. Why does the word disengaged matter? Well, at the end of the day, I would say productivity, and Gallup points this out, productivity and engagement are closely linked together, right? If a person comes to work and they're, they're engaged, right? They're, they are happy to be there. They're energized to be there. Their productivity is going to go up significantly, right? Because productivity is linked to, to energy. But if a person comes in and they're grumbling and complaining about what they're having to do. They, they can't stand working for your company. They're just there to get a, a paycheck. And, and they're frustrated with being there. Not only is their energy going to reflect in their productivity, but that energy is going to leak onto everybody else around them as well. And we've all been around kind of the Debbie Downer type of personality. It is hard to be excited and enthusiastic when you've got somebody, you know, you've got that Debbie Downer in your office. Now imagine that 80%, 86% of your workforce is a Debbie Downer in some way. Like that, what a terrible place for, for productivity. What a terrible place to feel like your work matters, your leadership matters, your efforts matter. It's just like, honestly, it's, that would suck. That would totally suck the life out of you. And it would just suck as well to, to be in that type of an environment. So I, uh, I, I will tell you girl, and you probably already know this. I'm, I'm ultimately a child at heart still. Uh, I can't seem to shake that. Uh, I think that's a good thing actually. Uh, I do too. I do too. <laughs> uh, stories. I love stories. Tell me about uh, a situation or an environment that you walked into where it, it, it had that air of Debbie Downer. Uh, tell me how that started out, kind of how you walked into that situation and where did it start to lead? Where did you start to take them uh, around the culture? Yeah. Yeah. So I've actually had the opportunity to work with uh, a lot of leaders who do assessments ahead of times and have seen just over and over again that most people aren't really excited with the work that they're doing. And so whenever it comes down to, to, to recognizing that this is a cultural issue, I always like to start with clarity and community. Okay. Uh, 
because this is an area where I think we get it wrong a lot of times. A lot of cultural uh, stuff that's out there talks great things, you know, about habits and 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 processes and resources, and we'll talk about all those things. But at the end of the day, I think the number one reason that people are not loving the culture that they're in is they're not clear on what we're trying to win together. They are just not clear on what's the hill we're trying to take, what's the change in the world we're trying to do. We are so, or they are so, over-prioritized, right? So they have these 20 different priorities and 100 different goals that they're working on. And when that's what's going on, then there's no clarity. So the first thing that I love to do with people is I'll take teams through what I call the seven levels of clarity, to get really clear. And then I go through three types of trust and community. So let me talk about the seven levels of clarity real quickly. The first level of clarity is purpose. You've got to be clear on why your team or why your organization exists. And it's got to be bigger than money, right? There's some kind of difference in the world that you're trying to make. And if it's in the pest control world, a lot of times it's you're making families and neighborhoods and communities safe to live in. You're making it so that parents can spend more time with their kids and less time taking care of the bugs and the varmints that are that are getting in your way. But you got to know what your purpose is, right? The second is everybody in your team needs to know profits. How does your team actually make money. Most people don't understand this. They don't understand uh, sales and marketing and overhead and all of these things. And so they're saying, I would like a raise, but they have no idea that that raise has got to be uh, tied to increased revenue, greater profitability. So helping everybody on your team understand how do we actually make money? So profit. So you have purpose, you have profit. The third is priorities. What are the three priorities that you're aiming for in the next one year or three years or five years? And these need to be uh, inspirational enough that people get behind them, that they get excited about them. You know, nobody joins like, uh, I love this time of the year because it's national basketball championship time and nobody joins a team and says, hey guys, our priority is to make revenue this year. Like they, they don't care about that. What they say is we're going to join this team because we want to win a championship, right? We want to do something. We want to be one of the great all-time teams. So what are your priorities over the next couple of years? So the fourth level of clarity are your plans. Who is doing what by when? right? Like you've taken your priorities and then you've turned those into actions and deadlines and responsibilities. The, the next level is, is people. So who are the people who you have on your team? How are they skilled? And who are the people you need on your team in order to accomplish the priorities and the plans that you have? Next level down is processes. Like what's the ongoing work that we have to do over and over again? And how do we actually get more done in less time? So uh, approximately 80% of your business is repeat processes that you've just got to do over and over and over again. And then the final level of clarity, I know this is a deep dive and I, but the final level of clarity is problems. And the problems are what are the problems that are slowing down our processes, that are getting in the way of our people, that are preventing us from accomplishing our plans, which are 
uh, making it impossible for us to do our priorities, which lead to profits, which allow us to accomplish our purpose. So what are those problems that are getting in the way? You don't have to solve every problem. You just need to solve problems around those areas. So I, I, I like this because, uh, you know, whenever I'm talking to my kids with my team, if we don't all, you know, my, my role as a leader is to say, hey, we're going to Disney World, right? <laughs> are we turning left or right? That may not necessarily be my role in this. I just say we're going to Disney World. Someone says, hey, we got to put this food in. We got to put this these bags in. We've got to go fill up the car. We got to, you know, everyone's got different roles. But if everybody knows that we're going to Disney World, they know why they fit in and what piece that they've got to solve. And, and, and that's what these seven layers of clarity do is it helps you understand all the way from the problems, the things that are holding us back right now. And yeah. how do we solve them with our North Star being the purpose of the company or that we're going to Disney World in my example? Right. Am, am right. I getting that right? Yep, you're getting it absolutely right. And, and here's what happens on most teams. Now, I know we're talking about culture and not clarity, but clarity is such a driver of culture. Here's what happens most of the time is that we begin to complain about an issue and that issue is typically two layers down from where the challenge lies. So let me give you an example of, of this. So if you, if you look at the level, it's priorities, then plans, then people. So uh, I was working with a company about a year ago and um, they kept talking. I kept hearing over and over from their executive leadership team. We just don't have enough people. We don't have enough people. We don't have enough people. And so we kept pressing into that and they would say, you know, we, we need, we need to hire more contractors. We need to hire more full-time people. We just don't have the money for all of this. We just need more people, more people, more people. And I said, let me ask you one question. Stop time out. Everybody, do me a favor, pull out a post-it note, write down the top three priorities of the organization in the next year. Everybody wrote down what they thought it was. Then I had everybody go around and read it. Not a single person agreed on the top three priorities. And, and I just, I stopped and I was like, hey, here's the deal. You can't out-hire a priority problem. You don't have a people problem. You have a priority problem. Nobody knows what your priorities are at the highest level of the organization. So you don't need to hire more people. You need to get clear on what your biggest priorities are so that you can understand what your plans are and who it is that you actually need to accomplish those plans. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this back into my Disney World travel thing, right? So my wife is convinced we're going at the end of the month. I'm thinking sometime in the near time future. So I haven't gotten the tires rotated. I haven't gotten the oil changed. I haven't put gas in the gas tank. She's like, hey, what's, what's, what's going on here? We're, we're not ready to go. I think in the same way here is if everyone's not, again, if we don't have alignment, it always seems like there's a resource drain because you're heading in. Here, another great analogy. I love cars. If you're, why do you get alignments for your front wheels? Because if your left wheel and your right wheel are going two different directions, you're not going very fast at all, right? <laughs> Right, right. And you're putting a lot of wear and tear on your car for no progress. And you will feel like, you're, hey, I'm pressing my accelerator all the way to the floor, but I am not accelerating. Well, that's because your left's going this way and your right's going this way, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, just, I, uh, exactly. I've driven that kind of car before. It's not very fun. <laughs> so, so what, what, I, what I find interesting here is you said people complain about issues two layers down. So, if it's uh, priorities, that are misaligned, um, 
So w- then it's walk, right. walk, me, walk me back through that one more time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of times if, if people are, are like, we have a prioritization problem, very often they either have a purpose problem or a profit problem. In other words, you, you kind of go up. So, so they'll say, you know, we're having a priorities problem. We can't decide what our highest priorities are. Okay, well, let's go back up to purpose and profits. What does your purpose say is most important for you to do? That'll give a lot of clarity because a lot of times in our priorities, we aren't thinking in terms of we're trying to get to the moon. We're just, you know, and, and, and then sometimes it's a profit problem. Do you understand how you make money? And if you understand how you make money, how does that inform your priorities? How does that help you understand if this is where we generate the most revenue and the most value for our customers' lives, then how do we prioritize what we do based on that? So we've get, we're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube and on LinkedIn. Uh, and I would love to hear if anyone who's listening in right now, uh, do you feel like you've ever worked for an organization where their issues are two layers down. Uh, I, I know I have as well. Uh, what I find really interesting about this, though, is we, I, I think I have always been going through schooling things. I've always been kind of focused on this idea of identifying symptoms. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about here is lots of times people see symptoms of a problem but where it really stems from is they, they think that's the problem. That's the band-aid to solve right there. But that's actually not addressing the underlying issue here. And that's kind of what you're talking about here, right? If, you're, if you have prioritization issues, well, profits and purpose are not clearly aligned in the organization. And if you can't have well, alignment, well, then your wheels are going to a different direction. Right. Absolutely. That's it. That's it. We are very good at finding symptoms and not really great at finding what is the root cause of, of what's going on. And so those seven levels of clarity are really designed. And, and this is why this is so important to culture, Vinay, just to, to go back to this whole conversation around culture is people cannot get engaged in a culture if they do not know what they're trying to accomplish if they don't know what they're trying to win together. If we aren't, you know, John F. Kennedy, he's famous for his um, his speech where he talked about we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade. And that aligned the entire country. Everybody knew what we were working for. Um, I had the opportunity to to work in the, the Chick-fil-A culture for a while as uh, on their nonprofit side, but I got to be on their business side as well and, and see that. And what always impressed me is that they were crystal clear on here are the big objectives that we're trying to accomplish in the next 10 years. And they talked about those all the time so that everybody knew what they were. They talked about it all the time. They've, they've since way surpassed this, but they, they talked about consistently. We want to be the best quick service restaurant in the country. And they defined what that meant. They measured what that meant, but everybody was aligned around that. We're going to be the best. We're going to be the best uh, QSR, quick service restaurant in the country. That's interesting. I did a presentation uh, probably about a year and a, two years ago now um, where we talked about sort of this idea of culture. And I did a survey or just kind of put two companies against each other. And two of the companies were McDonald's and Chick-fil-A. Mm. We talked about the fact that, hey, let's, let's kind of do, go toe-to-toe and match them. Quality of materials, about the same. Quality of staff and the caliber of people, about the same. 
quality of the footprint or the size of the footprint, square footage, about the same. Initial investment, yada, 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 right? And the demographic of, of people that they serve, about the same. Everything is the same. But the average McDonald's, I think, generated $1.8 in revenue uh, for mm -hmm. that footprint. And Chick-fil-A was $4.4 million. Yeah. That's and incredible. they've increased a lot since then. Oh, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a staggering number. You're talking almost uh, more, more than two and a half times more revenue back then uh, for the same exact foundational capabilities, right? Yeah. So yeah. it has everything to do with the, the alignment. So what I, and I, I'm constantly writing down my notes here. That's why I keep looking down. And what I wrote is blind spot number six is because I'm capturing all of these, right? People can't win when they do not know the big why or their purpose, right? And that's why yeah. you kind of started with that number, that number one, uh, you know, the golden circles with Simon Sinek, right? To start, start with the why. If you, if you haven't defined that, then you just, you don't know what your true north is. And yep. I think that's what we're going back to, right? Yeah. 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 And so that leads to the second thing that, that I think often gets overlooked is we have the, the clarity side of culture, but then there's the community side of culture. If we don't trust the people that we work with, then you will have a toxic culture. It, it is guaranteed. So, so, organizations need to work to help their people build trust with each other. And essentially, there are three kinds of trust that that working teams need to, to effectively work together. The first is what I call character trust. Do I trust the people around me? Do I trust that they're going to do what's best for me and that they're going to do what's best for the organization? Do I trust that they're good people and that they have generally good intentions, right? Is that, if, is that, is that like, that's integrity, integrity of care. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I have to have trust that, that this person has good integrity. I have to trust that they're going to do the right thing, right? So, so that's the first kind of trust. If I can't trust that person's character, we're going to have a toxic culture, right? Essentially, you're going to have a mafia culture where everybody knows that we'll stab each other in the back but we're going to get along if we have, you know, we're going to, we're going to play nice until we don't need to play nice any longer. So you have this character trust. The second type of trust is a skill trust. And the skill trust is all about looking at your coworkers and saying, do I believe that they have the skills needed to get the job done? Now, this is where, right, we're going to look at priorities and we're going to look at plans. Do I believe that my coworkers have the skills needed? And, and this one is just as important. Do I believe that they have the will to learn and the ability to learn new skills as those come? Because everybody knows, you know, your, your job changes so significantly over a short period of time. And so do I believe that they have the will to learn and the ability to learn new skills that will help move our team forward? So if I don't have that, then it's essentially like, Trusting, you know, it, it, it would be like if a, uh, a an NBA team went out and started playing with a peewee basketball team, right? Those kids might be the greatest kids in the world. They might have great character, but, but no NBA player is going to look at one of those kids and be like, yeah, I think they got the skills to play in the National Basketball Association right now. You're just going to look and say they're just not ready 
for it. Okay. So you've got to trust the skills that the person has. And then the third type of trust that organizations need to develop is what I would call relational trust. And relational trust, it's the least important, but it's still, it, it's still impactful. And relational trust is, do I like these people who I work with? Do I want to get to know them? as as co-workers. Um, Gallup, uh, I know I've referred to Gallup a couple of times, but what they found is one of the keys to high engagement in teams is that somebody has a best friend at work. So if you can have relational trust that you build with people, I like that person, I trust them, I'd be willing to hang out with them a little bit more. Now all of a sudden, the culture is so much stronger because I know their character's good, I know they've got the skills and the ability to learn that they need, and I actually like to work with them. This is really... Uh really interesting kind of buildings from this foundational character to skill to relational trust. You know, I think we've got a, uh, uh, someone who's watching in Sai. Uh, he said, very interesting. I'm, I'm curious, Sai, what, I mean, I think there's a number of things that we've gone through here. What, what did you find so interesting? I appreciate you chiming in. Uh, I'm capturing lots of notes. I'm wondering what, uh, what you're capturing and what you, uh, uh, what 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 kind of got your got your attention? I'd love to hear see it in the comments. What you what you see, and if you'd like some more clarity from uh, Garland, please uh, please uh, lean in in the comments. But this idea of being able to say, look, these are the hierarchy of how you build this clarity in an organization. But once you've built that clarity, how do you actually start to build these self sustaining systems that keep people interacting, cross pollinating? conversing with each other because you're right there's a level of character trust if i don't trust you i'm not going to share anything with you uh right basketball if i'm going to pass it to you and i don't think you can shoot it well i'm not going to pass you the basketball right yep and relational is would you ever pass it back to me <laughs> <laughs> right right absolutely absolutely yeah yeah such yeah that's a great insight i'm probably going to steal that for my for my next book but but yes all three of those are are such a great way of 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 looking at it you've got to have all three kinds of trust in a team but again most cultures think it's about relationship relational uh trust it's the least important. Hmm. I need to know that we're committed to winning together. We're clear on it, that I can trust you, that you've got the skills for it. And then it'd be great if we could go have a beer afterwards. But you know what? That is the least important. So there's a lot here, right? There's a lot of processes, a lot of time to take, I mean, to, to get the purpose aligned in an organization is a non-trivial task. That's not something you show up one day and say, hey, everybody, mm -hmm. this is what we do, right? Yeah. Uh, people have got to buy into that. And that buy-in process, if you want to go fast, go by yourself. If you want to go uh, go long, right, so you, you go with others, right? Yeah. So how does someone approach this? Do, do they just say, I have to start with a purpose and over the course of the next I don't know, 18 months go through problems. I mean, this is this a one-time process? Is it static? Is it evolving? Talk to me more about yeah. that. How do people implement it? Yeah, yeah. So uh, so it definitely takes time. Um, and the earlier you start, the, the better off things are. What typically happens is the higher you are in the levels of clarity, the longer it takes to identify and the longer it lasts. So for example, your purpose, it might take you 
it, it might take you months to, to figure it out. And you don't have to have perfect clarity on your purpose before you start talking about priorities and plans. You don't have to have it. It helps, but you don't have to. Um, but it might take you a while to figure out what exactly is our purpose and how do we how do we codify that in, in a way that makes sense to, to everyone. But the chances are once you do codify that, it's not going to change for a long time. Now, so the higher it is, the longer it takes and the longer it lasts. You get down to uh, processes. Your processes could be changing constantly as your business grows, as you learn how to do things more efficiently and effectively. Um, so, so that probably won't take as long, but it will, it'll, um, it'll change a lot more quickly. Yeah. I, you know, I, I've talked to a number of organizations that say people spend so much time on processes and say that process is locked in uh, when in fact that if there's anything that you should probably revisit on a regular basis, it's your processes, right? What have we learned as an organization? Does it still align with this new information, this new perspective we have with our overarching uh, purpose? Yeah. So uh, coming back, th so those purposes, th excuse me, those processes by default do need to continually be revisited and changed because look, tools, hardware, software, so on and so forth, the people change in the organization. The market <laughs> might, might yeah. have COVID-19 drop in, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. God forbid something like that happens again, right? That that uh, that kind of stuff just throws things out of whack, and the processes need to be visited. But your higher purpose still persists beyond that, and I think that's what you're saying is, if you start hiring that stock stack, those things are still the guiding light, the north star in, in terms yep. of what you're doing. Yeah, those things are rarely going to change. Your priorities probably going to change every three, five years, somewhere in there. Your plans, those are going to change, you know, as as realistic data. Your people are going to change regularly. And, and sometimes you don't have a say in that. Sometimes they're going to leave. They're going to go somewhere else. But your people are going to change regularly. And to your point, your processes are going to be upgraded very, very consistently. So, you know, I when I talk to so many people, I get this whole idea of what I'll call instant the instant gratification community, right? So many people want, hey, I want the fix. How do I get this done? There's no easy way to get this done. I mean, this is this is an introspection process at maybe even a personal level as much as it is as a at a senior leadership, middle leadership uh, company level. Is yeah. it not? It it is. It is a it, it's hard work. It's but but it is, I think it's the work of leaders. And and it's very easy to respond to email. It's very easy, generally speaking, right, to, to do some of the quick things. But the work of leaders is, the I think the hardest part is to figure out where are we going, who do we want to take with us, and why are we going there in, in the first place? And now how do we work together to, to get there. So leadership is all about creating a, a preferred uh, and desired future. It's preferred to where we are right now. And people actually want it enough to be willing to, to do something uh, about it. So, so is it hard work? Absolutely. But it's also work. And I think a lot of times people miss this. It's work that is harder on the front end that makes everything else easier as it drags it along, right? Once you know what your purpose is, once you know what your priorities are, it becomes so much easier to say no to the 100,000 other demands that are getting in, you know, that are vying for your organization's attention. It's much easier to say, does this help us move the ball forward in this one area? If the answer to that is no, 
then that's it. So I had one of my clients who um, decided, uh, so uh, pest control operator, he's a region manager in a, in a large company, and he decided that he wanted to focus on employee retention and customer retention. Those were the two things. That's it. And he said, here's what we're aiming for. We want to be the number one region in the, con in the country on employee retention. And if we can do that, we'll become the number one uh, region in the country on customer retention. He put everything into employee retention, made sure, I mean, they just went above and beyond in creating this culture where people were excited to work there. And his team would say, Hey boss, I got this, you know, I got this idea. What do we do this? And you know, should we, should we do this? And he would just go back to them over and over again and say, does that help us keep employees more? If the answer to that is yes, then we'll consider it. If the answer to that is no, then it's off the table for now. It's not something we're going to concentrate on now. And he nailed it within, I think he, he set an 18 month timeline. I think he got it in nine months and got highest employee retention and then was, was uh, creeping up on highest customer retention as well, because he was making that bet of if we can stay focused on this, then eventually that's going to make a thousand other decisions so much easier. You know, as a uh, myself as a leader, one of the things, two words that I use are effective and ineffective, right? Mm. Uh, trying to find those effective behaviors and those ineffective behaviors in the organization because those tell me the stories that are happening in my company, right? Those tell me what are happening in my clients' companies. What, what are they doing that is aligned with where they want to go and the things that are not aligned? Yeah. Uh, and what I'm appreciating about what you're saying here is, you know, said the work of the leaders is to choose the ending and find their path there. As soon as you, and this and another quote that I've used in the past or I'm saying that I have is uh, great, great leaders don't care so much about the data and the story so much as the awareness of what is happening with mm. the, the stories and the data. Mm. And I think that's kind of what you're, what I'm hearing from you here is, right? Is if you start to set, this is where I want to go. How are all these things related to that path? Then I, I, I don't have to say no to people because I'm being mean. I don't have to say no to people because I'm being curt or brusque. I'm just saying, this is what I want. Can you, can you help me get there? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It, it, well, and, and the beauty of clarity is you probably don't even need to say no if you can ask them really good questions and they're bought into the priorities, right? If they're bought mm -hmm. into those seven levels of clarity, and, and you can ask the question, does this help us accomplish? If yes, that's awesome. Now, if, it, if the answer is yes, then the question becomes, okay, does it help us accomplish it as well as these other things that, that we're doing? But if the answer to that is no, it doesn't help us accomplish our priorities, then you don't need to say no. They can say no for themselves. Hey, this doesn't help us get there. Okay, then we're going to take that off the discussion board. It's a, it's a no for now, maybe not forever, but it's a no for now because it doesn't align with our priorities. So something else I feel like uh, it's humans in this world that we live in, knowledge workers, service workers, whatever category, we've spent so much time talking about how we become more efficient as individuals. And I don't know that there's a lot of emphasis that's spent on how to be more effective as individuals, the most gifted individuals, the people that we look up to, the, the, the leaders that we say, 
are, are great and our own definitions tend to be both. They're both are very effective. They can understand what you're saying. They say, let me ask you two questions to get right to the core of it. And then they can tell you how to direct that energy in a way that you go there very quickly. This allows by, by having that North Star, by building this North Star for the organization and having that purpose allows the organization to be effective. We know where we're going, but efficient as in, this is not what I want to do, right? Yeah. yeah. And allows you to start making every single purpose. So you know, where I'm coming from with that thought is that this isn't about adding overhead. This is about adding just concentrated intention to where you're going, right? It's not getting, you're not adding more on to an already busy schedule. Exactly. You're taking a lot off. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is exactly it. You're making it really clear. Here's a million things that we're not going to do. And here's the three or four that we are going to do. And we're going to do with, with exception. You know, you, you pointed out the difference between Chick-fil-A and McDonald's. One other difference between them is the size of the menu. Look at, at McDonald's menu and they have chicken, they have hamburgers, they have, I, I haven't been to a McDonald's in a long time, but they have all kinds of options and no offense, McDonald's, but they do them consistently mediocre, right? Like I don't go to McDonald's cause I'm like, man, I'm craving hot fries. I go to McDonald's because I'm like, I think your fries could be world-class if they're piping hot when they come out, but I'm taking a chance here. If you look at Chick-fil-A, what you see is that it's a very small menu and they're consistently eliminating things from the menu to get more focused on what they do really, really well. That's how clarity serves you is when you have a lack of clarity, you've got a million menu items and you do them all moderately well at best. When you get clarity, you say, here's what we're focused on. Here is, and we're going to say no to everything else, and we're going to do these things with excellence. So, the, the, lots of lots of things to unpack here. I'm I'm kind of going through all of my notes here, and you know, I, I'm going back to this how you know, starting with just cultures, how people feel about work. We've gone through this process of saying, you know, culture leads to satisfaction on an employee, a customer, or on a management level, right? Yeah, uh, 86% of people are disengaged. The numbers just start to show you how significant this is. And what you're offering here or what this idea of the unlock of culture is a release of all the noise. Right? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it gets you laser focused. And I think a lot of people see laser focus as I'm stuck in a box. It's exactly the opposite of that. You actually have more resources to focus where you want, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that type of focus uh, unleashes so much creativity as well. Uh, so, Vinay, here's the other thing that I would say that, that is pertinent to this conversation is, is clarity and community are the foundation of culture. But if you just have those two things, you haven't yet created a great culture to live in. Okay. That's, okay. you're not yet there. You're, you're at a place where people are bought into the vision and they, they are enjoying working together, but it takes one step beyond that, uh, really two steps beyond that. So let me tell you what the two are, and then we can 
can yeah. impact those. Okay. So after you've identified clarity and community, then that's when leaders begin to say, okay, what is the community? Uh, sorry. What is the culture that we want to actually create? Like, what does it feel like to work here? And once you do that, once you, you know, uh, do you want people to feel value? Do you want people to feel uh, like they're, they're working at, you know, a, a world-class organization? Do we want people to, to give honor and dignity to, to one another? What do we want this culture to feel like? That's when you then begin to develop the habits, the behaviors that shape the culture that you want. So I'm going to go back to, to Chick-fil-A. Uh, on this. Uh, again, I know I've talked about them uh, several times, but I can remember when uh, watching these videos of the founder of Chick-fil-A, Truett Cathy, going and he stayed at a Ritz-Carlton hotel. And when he said, thank you, they said, my pleasure. And that struck him so much that he was like, they didn't say, uh-huh. They didn't say, you're welcome. They didn't say, sure. They said, my pleasure. And he said, that struck me. And then I realized that it didn't cost anything. So it became about creating a habit in his organization that said, my pleasure. Now, it took him three years to, to do that. It took him saying it uh, three years in a row at their, their annual convention. I want you to say my pleasure. But it was it, it took them saying, what's the type of place we want to create? What's the feeling of the place we want to create? And then what are the habits that are going to help us get there? And then making sure that you design and you reward around those habits. That is where culture is finally starts coming together is when it becomes habitual in an organization. So let me make sure I get this right. So we start with clarity and community is the first two C's. Culture is the third. What was that fourth one? Or was there? Well, one? there wasn't a fourth one. Not, okay. on, not on that. So, so okay. culture is all about identifying what the culture is okay. that, that you want and then designing the habits okay. and the, the processes that will help you get there. Uh, and and I think I mean the the, the most uh, I mean you're more skilled at this than I am but the first thing that I think about is sort of uh, my my children around dinner table we go out to people's houses right uh, a ch child says something in response to the other child you know, to other kids right? parents uh, houses child or something like that we say you know that's that's not the way we do things in this family right? mm. uh, and that's the behavior then you say well or then the next time you say that's exactly the way you should behave because that's what we in our family believe. Yeah. Now it's the same sort of thing, right? You're building that culture at a personal level, but it's the same thing that you're doing in your community at work. Right? Yep. Yep. And, and how much power is there in that when, when a group of people can say, this is how we do things, right? This is the Toyota way, or this is, you know, this is how we do things at our work that creates a, a really healthy culture. It also lets people know that's not the type, you know, if they're, they're looking at it, they're thinking about working there and, and, and they go, that's not the type of culture that, that I want to work in. You know, I don't want to work in a culture that says my pleasure. I don't want to work in a culture like Toyota that can shut down the assembly line. I don't want that pressure. Okay. That's great. This isn't the culture for you. That way you're not investing in, in a bad hire. Right. That's interesting because one of the things that we do in our 
company is uh, uh, spend a lot of time saying that the person coming on board, it's all about them, right? Getting them mm-hmm. up to speed. And what we've started to find is that uh, whenever we interview people, it's no longer just me or someone else interviewing them, right? It's that whole community that interviews them. And we make it a thumbs up or thumbs down, right? Mm-hmm. That's before passing on to the next person, thumbs up or thumbs down. And you've got to say, tell me your gut feel on that person. Do they yeah. fit? Right? And they're becoming the vetting structure for it. Now you've got six people looking at that person as opposed to one. And if all of them are bought in, guess what? Each one of them, when that person comes on board, they're saying, hey, I'm, I know we went through that interview process. How can I help you? Because they have a vested interest in them doing better. And that's this, I mean, that's just the behaviors that we engender in our culture. Uh, it's not necessarily the right one. It's just what works for us. But I think that's what you're saying, right? You build that community that supports the culture and the behavior, the chosen behaviors over time. And it becomes self-sustaining in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the genius of what you're doing there, Vinay, in, in getting multiple people involved is not only are they vetting people for the culture that you want to create, but it's, it's forcing their hand to fit that culture, to be, to look for that culture, to be more in line with that culture. And so they're sitting there and they're saying, does this person match up to the culture? And I'm having to, to check them out for it. So you're really getting a double win there. Not only are you getting people hired who are more in line with the culture that you want to create, but you're reinforcing that culture with the team that you currently have. Because I think sort of a foundational component to the way we think about things is that, look, I can teach you all the technical skills for anybody who's got the desire and the interest, right? But if they don't fit into our organization with these, uh, you know, the character trust, the skill trust, and the relational trust, you're just, you're just going to be a square peg in a round hole the whole time. It doesn't matter how much you want to learn. <laughs> but, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, this is interesting. Uh, Jay writes in Phenomenal Vinay. And, and Garland, I, I agree. We're getting some fantastic nuggets from from Garland here. And uh, part of why I was so excited to have you on. Been, been, <laughs> waiting, been waiting for this day. Um, tell me, um, I, I, I keep thinking of a story here, right? Uh, tell me where culture had created, I mean, people talk about this idea of a toxic workplace, right? Mm-hmm. Can a toxic from what I'm hearing, a toxic workplace can be turned around. Absolutely. Where, where, where does the buy-in have to occur? And is there a story you can kind of share, like a you know, quick anecdote as to where it started toxic and kind of turn the corner or where they could start and how they could start, something like that? Yeah, well, uh, so I would say this is if you are leading a toxic organization, the change in toxicity has to start with you has to start with you. Or if you are the leader of a toxic team, it has to start with you. It, and, and I'm sorry to say this, but it just rarely happens that somebody in the middle or somebody at the bottom can turn it around because you have all of the gravity of the org chart fighting against you, yeah. right? And so when, when, when that happens, uh, and, and that's not to diminish anybody's position, it's just the unfortunate reality. You can create a lot of change. Very rarely can you change a culture when you're part 
when, when you're not at the top of that team or at the, the top of, of that organization. Um, so I'll point out one story. I had the opportunity. This was a, a leader that I actually had the privilege of, of working with very, very early in my career. And um, I was working, it was a nonprofit and um, had tons of resources and absolutely no vision. And we were working with college students, okay? So college students are the most opinionated and least learned people in the world, right? <laughs> like they have an opinion about everything and yet they haven't actually read anything or talked to anybody about it. So God bless them. They're, they're a great group to work with. But, but, but we had this organization and and they were complaining left and right and left and right and left and right about every, you know, everything in it. And this new leader came in, his name was John, and I just appreciated him so much. He came in and he said, hey, we're going to start new vision, new mission, new values, new program. We're going to start and redo this whole thing. And within two years, we had done, we had Change, literally changed about 80% of the organization, but the people that we were getting were so much more bought in. As we were releasing changes, people were saying things like, my only complaint is that I'm graduating uh, too soon to see this happen. And, and so I, I just look back on John over and over and I see this one person who said, we're going to change it. Like this is going to be a different culture. We're going to have a culture of excellence. We're going to have a culture of leadership. We're going to have a culture of gratitude. Let's do it. And, uh, and man, what a, what a testament. Um, the program he created is still uh, alive and kicking. Sorry, I just slapped my desk. I got so excited by it. <laughs> <laughs> no, this, this is a really exciting topic. So, I yeah. mean, it makes make, make sense. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that comes up just as you're saying that is, you know, I, 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 I look I was writing down for my kids. My my poor kids have to listen to this kind of stuff all the time. They're twelve. <laughs> Mine too. I'm the same way, man. <laughs> I wrote something up there. I said, "There's three types of knowledge that I know of. There's uh, sort of the foundational is what I'll call the historical knowledge, the institutional knowledge, the stuff that's written in books, certifications, things, tests, like institutional stuff. And then there's uh, kind of people knowledge. You know how people interact. That's the layer just above that. And then there's self knowledge, which is mm. the the top, right? At the bottom, the scope of prosperity, the his, historical, the institutional knowledge is me, right? It's about yourself, right? Because I know how to do calculus equations. I know how to do a rocket. I know how to build a rocket, whatever the case may be, right? You're but smarter you start- than me if that's the case. But that's <laughs> awesome, man. But as you go towards the top, self-knowledge is actually more about the op- exact opposite. It's, it's more about the we, Right, because if you're in a well-grounded state yourself, in a well-aware state, hey, this is the stuff that I know. This is the stuff that I don't know. I don't want to know. Here's what you can do, because I don't do that. Right? Uh, Dan mm-hmm. Solomon wrote that book, "Who Not How." Right? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. it's exactly that. Right? So, I think what I'm hearing here is, gosh, in order for leadership to really affect this change, you can point a finger at everyone else, but there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's not a that's not a denigration of your capabilities. It's not saying, hey, you're a terrible leader. It's actually saying that's the place to start from. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, I say, I, I think one of the healthiest types of culture to have is a culture of what I call 125% responsibility. Mm-hmm. So not every culture needs this, but I do think that this is critical in, uh, that this is helpful in a great culture. And 100% responsibility says, 
I am responsible for my attitudes. I am responsible for my behaviors. I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for anything in my sphere of influence. That's awesome. That should be baseline. 125% responsibility says I, that all that is true, right? I'm, I'm responsible for my attitudes, behaviors, actions, but, or and, I am also responsible for the results of those whom I directly influence. And so when a leader begins to look at, at herself or himself and say, the culture is not what I want it to be, that 125% responsibility says, and therefore I own that problem. I take ownership of the problem of a toxic culture or a less than great culture. And we're going to change this. And it, that's where it starts, is with those leaders who are willing to own the problem and, and course correct. You know, what I love about that uh, idea of the 125% responsibility, because I have, I, it, I have a very similar sentiment to that, and I didn't have a nice way to use it. So I'm going to take that from you. Okay. You take that basketball analogy, I'm going to take 125% responsibility. <laughs> but what, what I love about that is it, it, the humility, uh, uh, it, it, it you have to live in a, from a, come from a place of humility there, right? Because it's bigger than you, right? Yeah. As yeah. soon as you start thinking about the earth in terms of sustainability of the earth and you start saying, hey, look, I, I have to be a steward of this earth, whether it's just my response, what, not just what I do, but others as well. Yeah. That's when it starts to change your belief system and your behaviors go along with it, right? It has to change. And yeah. I think that's what, that's what I'm hearing here. Absolutely. You got it, man. Uh, gosh, we've, uh, touched on a, a lot of things here. Uh, Sai, Jay, I, I appreciate you all listening in and, and, and others who've been listening in. This has been a fantastic journey, uh, through things. Garland, uh, gosh, uh, page and a half of notes and I, and I was jotting fast. So <laughs> as, 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 as things go, gosh, I, I, I walk away from this, uh, much smarter than I, I was before. Uh, thank you for doing that. My Thank pleasure, you. man. Thanks, Vinay. Uh, I appreciate the time. I will, if anyone is interested in some of my notes, uh, feel free to type that in the comments. I'll, I'll, I'll send you my notes so you can see some of the, uh, uh, the, the blind spots that I took away from this. Uh, I think there's lots of uh, good ones here. Thank you, uh, Garland. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye. <laughs>